And now, a real story from a real soldier. It's the Soldier Stories Podcast on Facebook and Twitter at Podcast Soldier. This week's Soldier Story begins. It is time for another Soldier Stories Podcast. My name is Fife. I am the host of this podcast. Uh, Full disclosure, I've never been in the military. I have a lot of respect for the men and women who do serve. Uh, When I created this podcast, it was called the Soldier Stories Podcast, and I was encompassing what I thought was soldiers from every branch. Uh, I've had a few people point out that depending on the branch, they go by different things. Uh, So I do apologize for the title of the podcast if it's offensive to anybody, but uh, today we have our first non-army. Uh, representative that is in today to talk about his time in the military. I have Ken Corey here with the United States Air Force. Uh, Ken, how many years were you in the military? So total years, I uh, did a little over 10 years um, and then spent six and a half years active duty and then four in the reserves. So Okay. And how yeah. many deployments did you have in that? Uh, four deployments. I never went anywhere nice. Always uh, overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan and Pakistan. You know, never got to go to like Kuwait or Qatar, you know, some of those other places. But, okay. Uh, yeah. All right. So uh, let's start before you military career where did you grow up well I uh, I grew up in northern Wisconsin northeast Wisconsin uh, in a small town well not really too small Marinette Wisconsin and uh, went to school there all the way till my junior year uh, and then I transferred over to Krivitz High School um, while I was going to school uh, I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do I was really good at sports I was really good at baseball so I got scholarships to play baseball and I turned those down because uh, I kind of I wanted to go in the military so I wanted to serve my country just like my dad did my uncle you know I had uh, my grandfather you know it's kind of that thing that you know, I really wanted to do, and I was going to think I was going to do better after I served in the military and figure out my life after. Well, let's talk about the fact that uh, you turned down those scholarships for baseball. What what schools offered a scholarship? For me? So I had Milwaukee, uh, Oshkosh, a couple different you know schools. So wow. it was it was kind of nice, you know. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I was like first team all conference, uh, all state, honorable mention, all, all that fun stuff, and uh, had a good time playing sports throughout high school. Um, I never went to any parties though. I would always uh, you I was that guy. I was not that guy. I was that guy who was uh who worked all the time uh did sports and then you know didn't go to parties or hang out with girls i mean i <laughs> i was uh, you know it was my brother called it best he called me chick repellent so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no clue what I was doing. So you were like the you were the you were the goody two shoes jock. You were focused on your school and on your sports and the other stuff. You were like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let that slide to the side for now. Yep, yep. I'd be there uh, picking up my brother, you know, for whatever he's out at the party, and I'd be there to get him, you know, grab the vehicle because it's gonna get towed. I'm the guy who hasn't been drinking, so I can get the vehicle. I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So you're you were in school and yeah. uh, you. We're trying to figure out what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been a family thing. Did your brother end up serving in the military? He did. He went into the army, you know, and then that's when I kind of figured, you know, I was looking at my different options and, you know, when I, whether I was going to be, you know, a soldier in the army or a Marine or, you know, an, 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 in the Navy um, or even Coast Guard, you know, and then I decided I was going to go Air Force because I got this feeling from all, all the other branches that, you know, looking at them, what is my best option when I get out? What is my, what, what's going to give me the best opportunity? And it was the Air Force, you know, looking at the different jobs that they have, the structure that's in the Air Force. 
force, uh, you know, we have nice, I know I, I had my own dorm room, you know, I'm looking in the army or the Marines, you know, you're going to share that with other people. You know, I have, I go to a chow hall every day, get some good food. I can ask for eggs and I can get them scrambled or I can get an omelet. You know, <laughs> like it's those things. I have air conditioning. Oh my gosh. Perks? Air conditioning. Yes. Perks. <laughs> like it's like, you know, the best, you know, for sure. Okay. It, it was for, I thought it was, you know, and it definitely, you know, the job I picked, I wanted to be a, a cop, a police officer and a security forces. And that's what I did. You know, I joined and uh, went in to be security forces, just, you know, following along like my dad did, you know. Okay. So. so your dad also did the same type of job? Yeah, he was an MP in the Army, so military police in the Army. And then I went towards the Air Force. So just to be that smart side, my Uncle Mike actually did Air Force. So, you know, I kind of was like, yeah, I'm Uncle Mike. I'll follow Uncle Mike's footsteps. It's you know? kind of cool, though, that there's so much uh, military history within your family. It, mm-hmm. it seems that everybody in your family's had that call to serve and you, you all did. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the reason you went in was specifically because they did? Or did you have a calling yourself like that moment where you were like, you know what, this is what I have to do? You know, I I wanted to serve my country again, you know, and with that following my, you know, again, with the family tradition, it was a calling that I feel that I did want to do. I did want to protect my country. I do want to serve my country. I wanted to make a difference in this, whatever I could do to protect my, my family here. Well, what... uh. What year did you graduate high school? I graduated in 2003. So I signed up. I delayed enlistment um, right around the end of 2001. So just after September 11th is when I did my, you know, delayed entry and all of that. So. Okay. So you knew after September 11th that you were going to go in, you were going to serve, and you were going to be a part of the men and women who basically, you know, fought back. Right. And I didn't know how many deployments I would get after, you know, I, maybe I go once or twice or whatever, but I didn't expect to go four times. So I kept on going over and over and over. And it was definitely a, a tough time for me and for my relationships with my family. So, well, let's talk about relationships with family. So you've let them know that you're going into the military. How did people react in your family? How, how was uh, the general consensus? Was, was your family excited? Or were they like, you know what, uh, you sure you want to do this? Was, was there some pushback? so to speak, or was everybody supportive? I think everybody was supportive, for sure. You know, my brother went in a little bit earlier that year, uh, and he, you know, they were proud of him. So, you know, he, he went in, he was going to be a 88 Mike, so he went in, did fuels and truck driving. So um, he he did his thing. I went in and did mine. My mom was a little worried, I guess you can say, because with the wars and everything going on, we were deployed over there at the same time, um, you know, working at, on the same day, you know, over in, I, you know, I was up in Kirkuk, Iraq. He was up in uh, Tikrit. Uh, um, and with that, it was, you know, it snowed on her birthday. It never snows like in Iraq, you know, and it, it snowed and it was my mom. Again, she's de- she was definitely a little worried when we we're both sure. over there at the same time. So. Well, of course, moms are going to be worried yeah. no matter what. So you you had your delayed enlistment. You knew you were going in. Yeah. Uh, it's getting to the end of the school year. And you know that your time is limited before you are headed into the military. You're yeah. going into the Air Force. You're going to become an airman. What were some things that you made sure before you went into the military you got to do? And, uh, you know, because I, I know your life becomes regimented pretty heavily once mm-hmm. you join the military. So I assume that there are some things you're like, I'm going to blow off steam before I get in here. Oh, yeah. I uh, I, I guess you say I definitely did a little bit of that. I went to a couple parties then. Hey! Uh, yeah, well, had my first taste of Jack. Like, that was terrible. I will never drink it again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because that was one of my t- most terrible moments. It was the first time really drinking, and then I had some Jack, and it was 
Yeah, it hit me, and now I cannot go back to that. The smell of it just... The smell of Jack makes your stomach turn. Yeah, because yeah. I was doing one after another after another. And yeah, yeah I feel the same way about yeah. tequila. Yeah. Um, okay, so you are about to head into the military. You're heading into the Air Force. How does this work? Do you get... Uh, do they send it in the mail, call you, and let you know where to report? To? How does that work? So you're in touch with your recruiter the whole time. Uh, and, you know, my recruiter was telling me, hey, Ken, you got to be here at this time, uh, and we're going to go down to MEPS. So MEPS, we got to go down to Milwaukee. So we go down the day prior, uh, and we get into a hotel. We're staying down there. We get to meet some of the people that we're going to be uh, going down to uh, down to San Antonio with, right? So we stay the night at the hotel. Uh, they say, you know, curfews this time. You know, don't be out too late. Don't be drinking. Don't do all these things. And of course, we're hanging out in the room. We're doing all these things. Okay, all right. So, <laughs> right, so already not doing yeah. what you're supposed to do. Yeah, right away. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> so <laughs> then we, uh, so then morning comes around. It's like five, I think five or whatever, and we get in, go, go over to MEPS, do our, sign our paperwork, sign our lives away, uh, and then they get us on the airplane. And then- Well, uh, before you get on the airplane, let's talk about this moment when you're uh, signing away your life. Oh, yeah. Do you remember the feeling you had as you were going through this paperwork? You were reading the things that you were reading, and you were signing your name and initialing here. Do you remember what you were feeling? I remember parts of it. You know, the one thing I that I, I do recall was the fact that, you know, I was going to sign up for four years, and I was going to go be security forces, but then I get down there. And then they're telling me, you can do this job, this job, or this job. And then you can sign up for six years, and then you get a bonus. And then you get, I'm like, oh, bonus. I'm like, oh, sounds great. <laughs> great, right? I had no clue I was going to get this opportunity to sign up for two more years and then get a bonus <laughs> and then get more rank. Like, I'm like, this is going to be great. And then as I look back at it, I'm like, what was I thinking? I should have just signed up for four years. <laughs> but it's like, because they signed, he's like, here's a $6,000 bonus after it's all done. You're like, here's three grand. Like, and it's not much at all. And you no, sign up. but at the time, right, it's like, like oh. you hit the lottery. And I did, and I signed up for it. I definitely did. I went, bam. I'm like, click, click, check, sign. I'm going for six years. I got an extra six grand. Well, uh, And I was, I was a little scared, too. I was like, I mean, what did I just do? Did I do the right thing? Yeah, did once I? you sign, are, is there how is there any out? Is there any way for you to legally get out of that contract? You know, I don't know. I did, all I knew is I signed. And I need to get on the plane. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, maybe I could have took off running or something. <laughs> I don't know. If that works. <laughs> I don't know. It was in a pretty like confined area. <laughs> um, but okay. uh, yeah, I definitely went through, and I. Yeah. So you sign this paperwork mm -hmm. and you realize what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Um, now I want to I want to point out too, and we didn't I didn't mention this at the start of this. I got to know you uh, because I first saw you working in a, ch a charity event situation, mm -hmm. and and uh, you seem to be involved with a lot of charity work now. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel that your time in the Air Force? set you down this path of the different charity work that you get involved with now? Is it because of that? Or do you think you would be doing that even if you hadn't gone into the Air Force? I don't know what I would be doing if I did not go into the Air Force. And the charity stuff, it it took a lot for me to get to that point because I was struggling for a long time, right? Okay. So I struggled after I got out of active duty. Okay. I found my, I lost my my sense of camaraderie of my fellow airmen and my fellow, you know, brothers and sisters that I served with. And I get out and now I don't have any of that. Okay. And I'm struggling for a long time. And I think we should definitely, yeah. we should, we, we can talk a little more about that yeah. um, down the road as we get further into your story because it's such an important part mm -hmm. of your story. You know, it's funny, man, when I first saw you with the, the Alzheimer's 
Alzheimer's Association. You were doing some coaching for the Blondes versus Brunettes football game, which is a huge charity event. And then after that, we became friends on Facebook. And I just see these new posts all the time of all these different events that you're involved in or you're promoting and you're getting the word out. And I just thought to myself, that's an amazing person to get involved with all that and to stay busy with all that. Because I find myself not being able to stay committed to anything for very long. And I try really hard, but it's so cool to see you doing that, man. And um, that was one of the reasons I wanted to have you in. Um, So let's reset the story. You have just (laughs) signed away your life to the Air Force, six years, uh, six and a half years. Yeah. And is there an option for them after the six and a half years or is that with the option to call you back? So what happened with the six and a half years, I got extended on my last deployment. So normally it's a six-year contract, right? You sign a four-year or six-year contract, right? And that's what we had, you know, in the Air Force at the time. Uh, But, you know, with the deployment, it extended me a couple extra, you know, six months. So I had to, you know, they signed some more paperwork. But, you know, with that, uh, you know, I, I know I'm trying to figure out, you know, what I was going to do. Um, you know, do I say for six years, try it out? And then do I go and extend or sign up another four years or whatever? But it's it's an eight-year contract is what you end up signing. Okay. Right? So everybody signs an eight-year contract. So example, me, I'd sign up for the, the six years, and I have two years in active ready reserve that I have to serve after I get done with my six years. So if they call you up, you right. got to go. Got to go. Okay. Yeah. Um, so now you're on the plane, and you said you headed down to Texas? San Antonio, Texas. All right. And yeah. this, is, uh, this is where it all begins. So it begins in August 11th in 2000. At what point on that flight did it go from feeling like civilian life to, uh uh-oh? You know, I think it was when you were getting to the, the, getting your bags, right? And then you're going and then there's all these, you have your DIs, TIs, training instructors, and they're they're yelling at you and telling you to get on the bus, right? So I'm like, oh, that's when it kind of kicked in, you know, right then. The nerves kicked in? Yeah, it was was late at night too. So it was really, it was, I'm trying to think it was like nine or 10 at night. I mean, not super late, but still, you know, we're going through all this stuff at night and they're telling you to do all this. And like, we finally get like, get there, get to, get to Lackland Air Force Base. You know, they're telling you what unit I'm assigned to. So I was part of the 324th. Uh, My flight number was 717, you know, and then I got to see some of the people that I was going to be bunking with and being, you know, being there with all right and then you got these little footsteps that you once you get off the bus they're yelling at you and you got your footsteps you got to stand in so you know where you're going <laughs> and then they ask you some questions anybody know how to play any instruments <laughs> right? why know. are they asking that type of question uh, that's interesting yeah so they ask the instrument question because they need band people oh okay they need people to be in band flight did you play i didn't i no? did oh i okay in middle school i tried for a semester or a, a, what is it a quarter or something yeah the recorders yeah. those little flute things <laughs> It's terrible. I think everybody has to do that when they're in school, and it's it's great for the kids because we love it. We're like, oh, I'm playing an instrument. For the parents, it's a nightmare yeah, because yeah. we're terrible, and we don't stop making noise with it. Right. Uh, but yeah, so that would have not gotten you into the band. No, no. Okay. No, no. Thank gosh. All right. Right. Oh, it's okay, though. Well, you are now standing in these footsteps that are yeah. painted on the ground for you. Yeah. It's night one. You said it's late. Do they go right into like training process or are you like they bunk you for the night? Well, you got to go through they, what they do is you separate all your clothes and then they give you like you get some sizes or whatever. And then you, you sleep in your clothes or whatever. And then the next day is when you start going into the training. So then it's like child right in the morning. You're, they're telling you how to line up, you know, go through all these things. You know, you don't have any equipment really issued to you at that moment, but you, you got to bunk. You got a spot where you're sleeping. I got a lower bunk. So that what was kind of nice. What time did they wake you up on day one? Uh, it was... I'm thinking like 5 a.m., 
I'm thinking, and then it's Reveille's going. Okay, well, then here's the thing. What what were you as a person prior to military? Were you a morning person, or were you the type who had to be dragged out of bed? Oh, I guess if you hear my parents, my I'm definitely not a morning person. No. Yeah, I was like, yeah, but now I am. Now I am. I could be yeah. a more I'm a morning person for well, sure. Well, I feel like your your inner clock reset yeah. once you had dudes screaming at you to get out of bed every oh, morning. Oh yeah, it's routine too. So you're up at five every morning. So sometimes you're even up before the the alarm like goes off. So what kind of uh, things did you have to? How much time did you get? And what did you have to accomplish before you went Nate? So right away in the morning, you got to make your bed. You got to make your bed. Got to shower. You got to um, uh, brush your teeth and then shave. Right. So it didn't matter if you didn't have any facial hair. You got to shave. Like, what's up with that? <laughs> you have to shave. <laughs> like you're going in there, you're shaving. Like, what do I got to shave? Yeah. I can't imagine standing there and shaving a face that there's no hair on and just like looking at the guys next to me. Well, I think that's what made us all veterans to the, where we are today because all that shaving in the beginning. Now we're all like you see most veterans around. We all got beards, I you know. I so, noticed like, that the veterans yeah. grow out the beards. Yeah. It's the beard look, man. It is. It's because they Forced you to shave all, all the time. The time. So. When you're deployed overseas, do you have to? I mean, is it, do you have to keep your face shaved? Oh, you, you do. Yeah. So there's you get shaving waivers though. Some people get shaving waivers. Uh, what happens with those is that the they'll shave against the grain sometimes, and they'll get bumps on uh, the on their necks, and then they'll get a shaving waiver. I always wanted a shaving waiver so I didn't have to shave, so I could look cool, you know, and have a beard and like. <laughs> look at that, Airman. He has a beard. He must be SF. Oh, <laughs> special forces. Yeah. No. That's uh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do no. think I do generally think when I see like a bearded soldier that's deployed, I'm like, oh, that guy's, you know, you see him in the news or something like that guy must be special forces. Right, right. He doesn't have to wear a normal uniform. Look, he's got a thing wrapped around his head. He's yeah. badass. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, it's, yeah. It's interesting because having not been in the military, what I see is what's in the news and what's portrayed in TV and movies. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is because I want to talk to the real people that were there. I don't want to talk to the actors and actresses that portrayed them on TV because I feel like what's portrayed on television or spun by the news one way or the other is not necessarily what the actual experience was like for soldiers. Right. And I think every soldier's got a different experience and a different story to tell. Every mm-hmm. every military guy, airman, a marine you know, whatever the branch, everybody's got that story to tell. Right. And our brothers and sisters, you know, everyone. You're so, all connected. It yeah. doesn't matter if you're in a different military. I'm sure that there's a little bit of. Oh, uh, there's animosity. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's I'm sure raised, there's like we raised, what, smack talking and stuff. Oh, for sure. All the time. <laughs> so, you know, I, that was my first deployment. Like, oh, you're Air Force, you're Fobbit, right? Like, you're. So, my first deployment, I'm going to, to uh, Kirkuk, Iraq, and you're sitting on the FOB, right? It's a FOB forward operating base, you know? So then you got all these Army guys and then or Marines or whatever that go cool. The wire every day. I'm like, oh gosh, I want to go outside the wire. It'd be like, it'd be cool, you know. And then they they come back and they're like, oh damn, they call us fobbits, you know, because oh. we're like, you know what a hobbit is? Yeah. So someone like stays in their little home and doesn't go anywhere. Oh. Yeah, we were called fobbits because we were stuck on the base, but we were protecting the base, so we would allow them onto the base every day, so we didn't enter control of the installation. So every time we see them go by, we look. I mean, at, you know, looking back at it, it's like I spent a year outside the wire every day in Baghdad. I'm good. Like I'll stay on the fob from now on. Like right. it's, we're all, we all have a mission. We all figure this out. Like. And I figured this out after my fourth deployment. And it was it took me a while. My fourth deployment re- real, made me realize that we're all there for the same mission. No matter your Army, Air Force, Marine, Navy, whatever, Coast Guard, we're all there to serve and protect each other. And we all have a mission. That's why right. we're all there. A lot of the times we have the higher-ups who think they know, you know what's going on on ground level. 
which, you know, they're not out there every day dealing with the locals like we are. Right. And then they're, they're trying to tell us to do something that we know isn't going to work. Okay. You know, or it's it's disheartening sometimes, you know, because they want to say, hey, let's go down this route. This route is black. Why are we going down this route? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So you can get a cab or whatever. I, I just get so frustrated with some of those things. So it's understandably so. Yeah. So they don't get a chance to the, when the, when something does happen outside the wire, they want to get their faces in there. So they'll get on the, you know, they'll hop in a, one of our convoys. will go out, check out the, the blast site so then they can get their pictures and then they'll get their bronze stars or whatever else. Political. Right. Yeah. There's it's, political it's so, tied into it. Oh my it. gosh. It's, yeah. That's something yeah. that I've always, um, that I've always thought was interesting about the military <laughs> is you see both sides of the politics, mm-hmm. the left and the right, always try to use the military to their advantage. You will see them put a spin on a story that involves military because it helps with what their objective is. And I think a lot of the times the soldiers are the ones who are left behind. Right. One of the things that I've talked about uh, on previous podcasts is my disgust with how soldiers are treated, not by the people, not by the country. Because I think as a whole, we've grown since Vietnam when soldiers were spit on when they came home. Mm-hmm. I think people now look at the soldier and understand it's not the soldier. And, But I feel like our government has left so many men and women in the dark to find their own way. And it frustrates the hell out of me when I hear about some of the, um, you know, the veteran uh, hospitals and not being taken care of that stuff. Dude, I can't tell you how aggravated it makes me. It pisses me off. I hate to see it. As an airman, it's got to drive you insane, too. No, for sure. Because, you know, that's what I do now in my daily my daily job, you know, I work for the Wisconsin Department of Veteran Affairs. I help my veterans in this community get the resources and programs and benefits and services that they deserve. Right. You know, that's that because I feel that sometimes, you know, there's a lot of I guess you can say there's times more often than not that, you know, I see them struggling and they don't know where to go. So then I'm there to help them navigate to get where they need to go and then advocate on their behalf when they're not getting the help that they need. So I took us down a path here. Yeah, I, yeah. I apologize. We went back we, one we way. We got from the yeah. story. And I think we'll get more into this when we talk about some of the charity work because I know a lot of the stuff you do is veteran stuff. Let's uh, let's go back to uh, basic, the basic training. Yeah. Well, you know, when I'm looking at it, you know, there's different days that we have, right? So most of the time it's you wake up, you're, you go, you get up, you go and you brush your teeth, uh, and then you're turn, getting ready for PT. Going sure. PT right away in the morning, and then you come back, and then you do your showering, cleaning, all that stuff, and then you get ready to go uh, to chow, and then then training after chow. What, what kind of like training is there after chow? Like when you guys start digging into the books and things like that, is it learning the the machinery you're going to be working on and working with? You know, so Air Force basic training is a isn't we're not focused uh, directly on our job yet. Uh, it's to just get us ready for the Air Force, okay. right? So it's, you know, six, six, uh, seven weeks when I did it, uh, we were focusing on, you know, who is an airman, who is a, who is a sergeant, you know, who's a staff sergeant, who's a, you know, master sergeant. It's knowing the rank structures. You Understanding know, the Air Force r- in general. In general, right? And it's that was the big thing that we learned a lot. And then marching, uh, qualifications here and there, you know, for, M- for M16 we had back then. Uh, now it's the M4. Um, and then our... Uh, M9. So, were you uh, used to guns prior to the military? Did you hunt and things like that? Yes, I did. Okay, so yeah. you you've already you understood how to act around a weapon prior right. to this. Yeah. Uh, when you started using like the M16, was that a different story for you? Were you just like, "Whoa, this is different. This is <laughs> this is not what I'm used to." No, I think it was I, it was a different weapon that I've never seen before. You know, but again, uh, it wasn't an unfamiliar. 
uh, object. It didn't feel a, it, weird for you. Right. Okay. Right. But it's always, you know, always treat the, the weapon as it was loaded, you know, sure. as it's loaded. Uh, yeah. You know, it's those things that you learn prior to going in, you know, and uh, it definitely was, it was, it was, it was nice, you know, kind of. So when basic training wraps, then you go to your separate training for the jobs you're right. taking on? Yeah, so we have AFSCs. Uh, it's Air Force uh, specialty uh, that we go to. And I I was a uh, 03511, so I was security forces. So with that, um, my my training was 11 weeks after. And I got to stay. Guess where I got to stay? Where did you get to stay? Lackland. Oh. <laughs> Just on the other side of the base a little ways. So I got to go to security forces training for 11 weeks. And then that's when we started opening up the books. That's when we started learning our jobs that we were doing. So that's, you know, a lot of training, a lot of books, a lot of, you know, weapons, quals, uh, um, movements, you know, a lot I of sit here and I think of all the places I don't want a basic train. Yeah. Having been down to Texas uh, right after the hurricane hit a couple of years back, we went down there and, and did some stuff. My God, the heat That's that hot. you guys had to deal with yeah. in Texas. But then again, in comparing that to where you ended up going, I am guessing Texas was a cakewalk as far as heat went. For for the most part, it, so the thing is with Texas, it's got this this humidity in the air, right? So it's not really dry heat compared to Iraq and Afghanistan, um, but it's still it's hot. So you got like we got Black Flag days, Red Day, right? Red Flag days. So there's only so much PT that will allow us to do with okay. certain flag days, and then that reaches a certain temperature. So if it gets over 100 degrees, you're not doing anything. Forced hydration. And yeah, stuff too. It, uh, you know you got to drink enough. Um, you know I think we didn't have that problem before there there was because uh, I guess a couple uh, soldiers died or whatever with the force hydration oh. thing too where they're just making them drink 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 and it's over hydrating so did not know that yeah but we were they did make sure that our canteens were full when we went out so we had two canteens and then again it's you know we go through the day and make sure making sure that we're drinking all our canteens when you were fully geared up when you guys were finally digging into the gear you might carry out onto the field how much extra weight is that oh like in basic i'm 15 pounds is maybe it just 15 pounds? in basic it, okay. it's not but when you get up into like again going into the tech school and going in through this our training through security forces again it went up there you know 50 60 70 pounds Woo. yeah man it, it adds on a lot it's like carrying a small child on your back yeah, the whole day for sure like, especially it's not such a small child but a big child <laughs> yeah. on your back especially if you're a heavy gunner you know if it's like 240 you know so like you know i was 240 gunner so 240 is a fully automatic machine gun you know so we're rocking 762 rounds and this thing is heavy it's like 29 pounds and then you got all your you got a spare barrel and then you got you know extra ammo that you got to carry and then you got to oh it's just yeah a lot of fun stuff. And then you got your flag fest you got on, and then you have your sappy plates that are inside of there. And, oh, yeah. and let's add the dry heat on top of all of all that. Of it. It's a lot of good things. Just yeah. That's why you lose a little bit of weight when you go down range. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, coming to an end of the training. Yeah. Um, is there a graduation from there your is basic training and then from your full training? Yep. Is there two graduations? There is two graduations. The big one is the basic training. That's the big one. Family come down for the, that? Uh, my, I did have my uncle and aunt. They lived in Texas, so they were there. And okay. then just previous to that, like it was, you know, about... Uh, eight months prior, my brother graduated. So it was one of those things where they were just there to see him and I went down to see him too. So I got to go down to Fort Jackson to see him graduate and they call that relaxing Jackson, but it was anything but that it looked like. So, <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, it was just graduation for basic and then graduation for tech school. But the big one was for the basic training. We get on this field and uh, we're all out there and I'm the guide on bearer. So like I'm the guy in the front of the flag, oh, the flag okay. and I'm like rocking that thing looking, you know, looking good. I you have know. to say mm-hmm. your, your photos with flags, man, you look like a rock star. Yeah. You do. He, he, uh, he sent a photo, which we actually are using to, to help promote the podcast so people can see uh, Ken's story. Dude, you look like a badass in front of the big flag like you can't i can't help but say it you, like stud yeah the lady killer thing or the what was it my brother called me uh chick repellent was far gone after i joined the gone. air force yeah. <laughs> you were oozing with the chick yeah. magnetics yeah magnetics man. yeah for I sure i love it um okay so you you had your basic uh graduation yeah. and then you went into your specialized yeah. training what did you specifically learn with your specialized training so, so uh how to be a, a security forces uh person uh member uh it was the uh guarding of uh planes uh, top secret um areas so there's protection level resources that we had to to guard that we would be going into our next units wherever that was so like you have a protection level one which would be like you know think of area 51 anybody goes into area 51 and that's a protection level one air like area and they go past it they're going to get shot right like that's what happens in a pl1 resource so we have to learn how to protect those right and then there's protection level two you know deadly forces authorized you know etc but again if they're banging on the, the the equipment or whatever it is you know and it's just figuring out what we can use for our you know how to protect the said thing and right and then being law enforcement too so then we had to learn how to be a law enforcement person so then we went in and doing security for like uh traffic stops or, you know, going and doing to a scene and then kind of analyzing it, writing notes and all this stuff that we're preparing ourselves to when we get to our base. Entry control, the installation, how to check IDs, how to write passes to the base, all these things, you know, searching the vehicle, everything and anything that related to our jobs we were doing in that training for for 11 weeks. But it's not enough because when you get to your base, you're like, oh, there's so many things, right? It seems like at least the consensus I've gotten from the people I've spoken to so far on the podcast, you learn things, but you really learn them when you're there. Right, correct. So, you know, like again, doing those trainings and then getting to your base. And after doing a, you know, working on a post for a while, you figure out, you know, how it works, what you need to do. You know, you know, your post briefing, you know, mine would be like, you know, sir, Airman Corps reports his order, Gulf 2-4, all security requests post briefing. And then they say yes and be like, oh, you know, and I go into my, my spiel. When I would first start off, I'd be like, Sir Airman Corey reporting reports his <laughs> and I'd be like, I don't know what I'm doing. But then after a while, it just goes off like that, and you got it, and it's good to go. So, all right, well, you've uh, gone through the the training; it's yeah. your second graduation. How does the next steps work for so, deployment? Right, so you're not so much deployment to for where you're going to go for your base, okay. right? So you got to do as you're in your security forces as we're going through the training. We got to fill out our background checks, right? So then they do more or less they'll run a secret, top secret, see where we can fit in. I was going to ask that yeah. actually because you are protecting things. You're being trained to protect things. Right. Your security clearance level has to be higher than most, I assume. Right. Yeah. So then they, they, they narrow you down to. So what they look back at is when the questions you kind of asked in MEPS. So like they'll be like, have you ever been around anybody who smoked marijuana or anything? <laughs> and then you're like. No. Have you ever smoked marijuana? And then if you say yes, then you're going to be like, oh, you're not a top secret. You're not you're not going to a protect like a uh, uh, nuke base or whatever to protect the nukes. So okay. then you're like your 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 level of security clearance goes down. So All then right. you're probably a secret. So clearance. it's a good thing that when you were in high school <laughs> that you were not that guy. Right. But I, but I didn't want to go to a PR. <laughs> so like, those those bases with uh, nukes and all that, because then you can't. All you got to do is take Abbeville and Tybee 
ibuprofen. You you can't. I mean, if you're injured, you ain't getting anything else. You get surgery. You're not getting Percocet or anything else to Ooh. help with any. You're getting ibuprofen. You broke your arm. Oh, here's ibuprofen. Enjoy. Oh yeah, you broke both your legs. Here's ibuprofen. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, that's how it is on on the, the those bases. I guess yeah, yeah. You have to be completely lucid at all right. times. Yeah. So then they so they do that the 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 thing to see where you're at in your security clearance, and then they they give you like a list of bases that you'd want to go to, right? And you can pick out the bases on your priority list, and you can see where they're accepting security forces um, for me. And then I wrote down my top bases, right? So then I got stuck with off at Nebraska. Nebraska? <laughs> yeah. We have military bases in Nebraska? Oh, yeah. Off at Nebraska. Yeah. So, no idea. Yeah. I got stuck with that one. So then there was somebody else who had one for Beale Air Force Base who's from off it, like from that Nebraska area. And I'm like, okay, so you want to trade? So we, we, we traded bases. That's allowed? That's allowed, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. So he got to basically go home. Yeah, she she definitely. She got to yeah, go home. She got to go home and I got to go to Beale okay. out in California, right. which, you know, was it was what it was. So How long were you there? I at, mean, were you there for a large amount of time? So I graduated, te- well, I graduated tech school in December, like mid-December. And then I, as that transfer paperwork was going through, I stayed until the beginning of January. Okay. And then they transferred me to Beale. And then I had to go and I drove all the way to Beale because I went and got my car after I graduated. That seems like it'd be kind of cool just doing that cross-country drive. Yeah, no, I drove from Wisconsin down to San Antonio and it took me 24 hours or 25 hours actually. And that was right right after Christmas. And then I came back and then I had my orders to go to my next base. And then I went to Beale. Do you remember anything on your drive that stood out? Oh, yeah. Just gorgeous. Like you just absolutely love it. Well, yeah, there was a, so there was some girls that were driving next to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was from Wisconsin. So I met up with them somewhere in Illinois and we went all the way down to San Antonio together. All and right. we're like talking on the phone, switching out, like one was riding with me and it was, it was great times. That so. sounds, that you, you found some beautiful sights. Yeah. So we def- it made me stay awake the whole way. We were like kind of just going back and forth. It was, it was a good Did time. Did you report so. there by yourself or did any other uh, soldiers go with you in, in your car? Or was it just Just you? me, just me. So what happens was when I got to go to my first base, I was hooked up with a sponsor. Um, my sponsor then told me, hey, Ken, you know, you're going to report here at this time or whatever. You, you know, if you have any problems, let me know and then we'll go from there. Okay. So then he, like I reported to him and he's like, all right, let's get checked in, in the squadron. So then I started getting checked in the squadron. What and, large city is Beal near? Uh, the largest city, uh, well, you can say Sacramento. Sacramento. Okay. Yeah. Rockland, Roseville as well. So, okay. and then you got Chico a little bit further north. So. Right. Chico's nice. Very cool. But, so you yeah. got to know the area a little bit. Oh yeah, definitely. I spent six and a half. Well, I spent six and a half years there. So wow. Yeah, but I only got to really spend three years there because I was deployed the rest of the time. So. Yeah. So when you would be deployed, you'd go overseas, and then when you came back, that's where you reported yep, to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You'd, so we deploy with our unit. So Ninth Security Forces Squadron. Uh, we would deploy to you know my first tour went there. Uh, we did some training down in. Um, uh, San Diego area. Uh, so we were doing mobile vac, or it's called MVACUS training. Mm-hmm. So we got to do mobile vehicle and cargo inspection system training, which was kind of cool because it was this new thing that was going on. Just yeah. like a brand new thing that you got to be on the ground floor for? Right. So it was a, a, a system that scans the vehicles as they come on the base and it's using 65,000 different variations of grayscale to determine density of the object really? that we're scanning. Right. So then all these gamma rays are shooting towards us and we're sitting in this vehicle. I don't even know. I don't have any kids yet. <laughs> Maybe that's but it is what it is so yeah uh i was running that machine for a while on my first tour but uh yeah we got to go down to do training for that in san um and san diego uh and then went to uh training in nevada so we went over to um like area 51 area that that area yeah that was 
there was it was special because there's helicopters flying over and they got this like looks like a um, missile on the bottom, but they're they're actually reading the air quality. My uh, my parents went on the road, the furthest road that you can go. When they took a trip across country, there was a road that it's the f- closest you can get to Area 51. Yeah. And they went out on that road, and there was a sign, and they drove up to it. And the sign said, once you go beyond this point, you will be shot. Yeah. I mean, it literally good. says yeah. it. And uh, they decided to take a picture in front of it. <laughs> All of the photos from the pictures of them in front of it were distorted. Oh, wow. And I don't know if that was... If that's something that the military does, they just they don't want photos. Yeah, there's a lot of things, you know, we don't know what. But they it's cool. Do. There's yeah. something kind of neat about yeah. Area 51. I think the not knowing, I'd rather not know. I like the mysteriousness of it, to be honest with you. I think yeah. it's cool. This whole crazy storm Area 51 thing that I've been seeing online, I'm like, it's going to get somebody killed. Yeah, Because good. some dumbass out there is literally going to think, this is a great idea. <laughs> and I'm going to run. I think there's t- some video game thing, Menudo Run or something. Yeah, I don't understand uh, it. I don't know it. I guess I'm that old man now. But uh, anyway, I'm like, it's going to get somebody killed because yeah. they're going to be stupid enough to storm the base. And they're going to get shot. Yeah, it's not it's not a joke. So it's just don't just yeah. not it's this is not a funny situation. Right. It's not I don't believe for a second there is aliens there, but I believe that we have a lot of technology there that is top secret mm-hmm. and it's kept top secret for a reason. Yeah. For our own protection. Right. Like we were in training in fifty one. We were like in fifty three. I don't 53. care. You it's were like, close. Yeah, red flag, Nellis Air Force Base. Yeah, it's still it was, cool, man. Yeah. And it's it's neat the the way that uh that that I think that <laughs> these bases protect the secrets. I think it's mm-hmm. important. It's national security. Right. You know, you see these idiots in the news and I'm just, what did you think when you saw, I'm just curious as an Air Force member, when you saw the Storm Area 51 thing taking off online, like it did, what were you thinking? I was like, who do I know down there that I can call and see what's going on? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what's, what, what are they doing? They tell you guys can't go on leave or what's going on? Like what's the, you know, I, I just, what's going on? That was my big thing. You know, what's your ROEs, you know, rule of engagement, you know, all these things. So they were canceling leave for the guys. They That's weren't able crazy. to go. They were calling in other, uh, I guess, other units of the army were coming in too. So they're, you know, really getting ready for it. It's weird because even the guy who created it was like, this was a joke. Stop being stupid. Like the guy regrets it 100%. I think they're continuing with it and making it a festival now. Yeah, they're going to turn it into a festival outside of there, which I know that little alien in thing that's out there. Did you ever go there since you were out that way? I just wondered. I didn't Mm -hmm. know how close 53 was to 51. It's pretty close. I mean, it's like two away. (laughs) (laughs) Two away. (laughs) With 300 miles separating them. Yeah, no, it's a big open area. Uh, It's kind of crazy. Yeah, Yeah. I think about that. I And, uh, you know, you you always hear about that type of stuff in in the news, and I always wonder what actual members in the military think when they hear these idiots talking about storming a base. Yeah, that's not smart. Just don't do it. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't seem like a good idea. No. So We're, you get out to to your your uh, fifty three. Yeah. And what's going on there? Red flag. We're getting ready to deploy downrange with what we think our mission is going to be. Uh, and again, that's area based defense. So we're we're training. Uh, we're, I was uh, again training with my two forty. So I got to be. I got, I got top gunner out of like three hundred people that were there oh, wow. and yeah so it was pretty cool with that but at the same time it's all like learning you know dfps so you know how do we build a dfp how do we do range cards how do we set them up you know you know uh where do we you know our sectors of fire you know you know fire for effect all these different things that we're we're learning again that we kind of already learned but we didn't really focus directly on and now we're doing it there 
So okay. we're doing, you know, did some little bit of convoys. We did some. How long does this training process go for? You? So this was uh, that training was like four weeks. It was like a month. And this is just prior prior to, being to going deployed. right. So we do that for every every deployment. Okay. So you're going to go to Red Flag, or you know, you're going to go somewhere uh, to go do some training. Um, you know, because I went to Red Flag once. I went up. I went to Florida another time, and then I went to Texas another time. So again, it, there's different bases for different things. You know, so so as you're leading into your deployment, what what's on your mind as you're going? Like uh, you're, I assume you you all fly there together or yeah. large parts of the group fly together. What's on your mind as you're flying over to your first deployment? Uh, what it's going to be like, you know, I didn't know. Did you know anybody was. over there yet? Was no. Your, was your brother there? Yeah, we weren't anywhere near each other, no, no, but, but he was there. But you knew he was already over overseas. Yeah. But you don't point. get to talk to him much either because, you know, sure. they can only call home so many times. Right. And, uh, you know, this is before the big whole internet thing, before anybody had computers over there or sure. uh, was able to call home, you know, not knowing all the secrets. Uh, and after a while, after all your deployments, you figure out all the ins and outs of calling home and all that stuff. So Something I've heard several times is that first moment the plane door opens. Do you remember the the heat hitting you that first time? Right when I landed, right in Kuwait, it was unbearable. It was like, I mean, it was it was so hot. You just it took your breath away. It definitely because it's. I mean, it was like 130 degrees, and I was like, oh, oh, oh. you're like, oh my god. This Do they is prepare terrible. you for that? No, I don't know how you can prepare for this. It's just like no. it's gonna be hot. You know, hydrate. You know, that's what they always say: hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. But and did they warn you that that was gonna happen, or was it just you just deal with you it? You just deal with it. Wow. So you get your you get off the plane, going down the stairs, and then you know that that we're flying Omni Air on the way there, and it's in like a seven fifty seven or seven forty seven large jet, right? Um, and then uh, then that's when we transition. You know, we're there for, in Kuwait for you know maybe a couple of days, so we can get all our gear ready, sure. and then go into country. Uh, we get our helmets, our uh, flak vests, all that stuff, and then. Uh, Kuwait's kind of a safe zone. Yeah, oh yeah. There's nothing happening. Kuwait, but the, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you sure. get some people. You get, I guess, you get hostile fire pay for there or whatever. I don't know. I didn't see anything there. Gotcha. But uh, we were there for you know a couple of days, and then when we fly in a country, then we get on a C-130. Uh, so we get in that C-130, and you're sitting behind the C-130, and the, the props are going, and you're smelling that JPA, and it's oh, it's just hot. It's, it's hot. It's hot. And we're still going in at night, and the the, the wind's blowing, the dust is coming, hitting you in the face, yeah. and then you're going on that plane. You get on the plane, and then there's there's four different chutes, right? So there's the two on the sides, and then there's two in the middle, and then you have your backs to each other on the, in the middle, right? So we get in, you know, I don't know, there's probably like 100 of us in there. Uh, no, probably somewhere around 75 or so. So we're in there, and then we go into, we're going into to um, Kirkuk, Iraq, right? And the night before, they just got, they got rocketed, and they got the, the plane that was there loading the troops prior. They just got blown, like they were getting rocketed and shelled. Wow. So they were like, get off the plane, get off the plane, you know? And like, they're thinking we might get shelled again the next day, right? So we're coming in, we're doing a combat landing, right? So they just dive straight down, and then they turn like hardcore to the left, and it's like, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like they're back to, the, you know, back and you're like pushed to one side and you're like, oh God, this sucks. The it's pressure like a, that built. It's oh yeah, it's like yeah. you've got a couple G's on you, right? You Ooh. know, and it's like, and then they switch it and they go the other way and you're like, oh, the other way. And it's like, and then there's a guy across from me. There he goes. Pe and he's puking. And like, God oh, dang it. I'm like, God. dude, please your helmet or something. <laughs> it was terrible. That it was, sounds It's so horrible. terrible. Yeah, because it's, the combat landing is so tough because it's like you're just driving straight down and you're making those loops and then you get to the land and then it's hard on the brakes and then you're off the plane right away. So the sharp loops are, are basically to avoid taking 
fire. Enemy fire. It right. makes it harder for them to shoot at a plane. Right. So if you know, like we see the airport, you know, see planes coming in from far away and they're coming, you can see them in a distance. Nice straight line. Right. Right. Air, yeah. Like you'd see a, a C-130 coming down and it'd be coming like almost like a loop right down just wow. kind of quickly. And it's fast, and then they stop. Like once you're down, how quick do you have to be off the plane? It's quick. I I don't know how quick it was. I I mean I just remember you know getting there. It was late at night, and we're we're put into the terminal, and then kind of figured out where we're gonna go from there. And then we got assigned our our our, uh, billets where we're gonna live. When you come in, is there a group of guys going out on the same plane you came in on? Uh, Is that that how it works? That's how it would work. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Sometimes it's the the people, or sometimes it's. uh, more like equipment that they're leaving. So okay. like the load masters depend upon, you know, situation, are they going to then take down to put in, you know, cargo? Or are they going to load more people up to get out of there? So to fill back. So your first deployment consisted of protecting the base, base. you were at. Yep. Your entire unit, your job was there yep. to be the protectors of that base and everybody right. on it. Yep. So we would do area-based defense. It was sitting in the, you know, defensive fighting positions on the on the perimeter, um, looking to see if there were any uh, possible, um, you know, enemies that were going to try to get to the wire, uh, you know, whether we'd have people that would launch rockets and mortars. Um, so then we'd see if, where that come from or where we'd have a point of origin, the poo, and we would call it in. So anytime that we'd have something where an incident would happen, we call in a salute report. So size, activity, uniform, location, time, and equipment. So it's, you know, just, you know, we got three individuals, you know, you know, activity, they're, you know, digging, a whatever location, 360 degree azimuth from my place at approximately 100 yards, um, you know, time now uh, and whatever else, you know, we just go through that. And again, I haven't done a salute report forever, but that's, you know, that's what but you're tracking everything. Yeah, you are. So then one of the things is we'd have a lot of rockets and um, uh, mortars that were coming to our base. So with those, we'd see where it landed and we'd say, you know, we think it came from this origin. And then another person at another DFP defensive fighting position would call it in and then they'd do cross sector and they'd see where it came from. And then a QRF would go out to that area and then hopefully get there, you know, to get them, but they're going to be, they're long gone. <laughs> how many, how many people would you say are probably on your base at, at a time? Like well, at probably five, at Kirkuk, there's probably, I don't know, 2,000. 2,000? 2, 3,000 maybe. Which is probably a significantly, I'm guessing a significantly larger number than most of the militant groups. Because they, they stay, it seems to me, at least through talking to people, they were smaller groups. And that's why it was always, you, you mentioned they'd be long gone. That's why it was always hard to find people that were shooting at you because they were in small groups. Uh, I don't know if it's the small groups. I think what happens is when, when they're launching at such a large base, they have a, a bigger area they can aim for, right? And what they do is uh, when they're they're launching the rockets or mortars or whatever, they would have a the tube set up, right? Mm-hmm. And then they'd have underneath that, they'd have a block of ice, right? So that block of ice would melt. And then once that block of ice melted, then it go to the the mortar or rocket would fall down into the tube and hit the the firing pin and then launch. And they so were they're already, already long, long gone. gone. Yeah. Wow. It's a lot of these things you learn over there. That, I never yeah. in my life would have thought something like that. Oh my gosh, they 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 come up with all these ideas and it's you know they, after getting you know from experimental and trial error or whatever they they know what to do. So how long was that first deployment for you? Uh, I was there. So I was there um, about nine months. Roughly. So, okay. and that was rockets and mortars every day, every wow. night, so every, every day. night, every night. They've mostly do them at night. I feel like if you're dealing with that, that's where a lot of these guys, uh, you know, you hear a lot of soldiers around the 4th of July. It's difficult for them. Mm-hmm. 
if you've been in a base that's being rocketed and mortared at every day for your deployment, I can yeah. absolutely see why that would be so hard to deal with. Yeah, it's those it's those large explosions that get me. I can't do anything. I can't shut my body off. It just I just react. So it's wow. a lot of like you know just you know quick start like more or less I jump a little bit and kind of startled but I can't do anything about it my body just does it itself so so after this deployment you return back to California yeah return back to California was it weird uh, to go back to the civilian I mean not civilian world because you're not a civilian but to go back to the United States after being deployed over there was it really weird that first time you went back uh I don't think it was as bad as I thought it was going to be as you know I as I went further in my deployments I was like oh this is I don't know. I can't do this anymore. Right. Uh, just because, you know, I was struggling internally. Uh, and with this deployment, you know, I come back and I'm like, I'm fine. Everything's okay. Sure. And I didn't really see a lot of, I didn't see much um, on my first deployment. Um, but, you know, it was a different change of things because you're, you're there and you're, you don't get the amenities that we do here in the United States. You know, it's like, you know, we don't get to shower with our shoes, like sour shoes. You know, you don't get, you know, sometimes you don't get warm water. You don't, you know, you can't, you can't just go drive somewhere. You can't. I mean, yeah. there's so many things of power, electricity. You don't have a computer. You don't. Have, yeah, that's got to be crazy to go from a world where you have none of that to right. a world where it's just like at your fingertips. Right. When we take advantage of so many things, or we for granted, we take a lot, a lot of things for granted here in the United States that you know we don't. You know, as as soldiers, as airmen, Marines, you know, we're we're all over there and we're fighting for our freedom so we can enjoy these things that we get right now. Absolutely. You know, we have power all the time. Yeah. You know, right now, I mean, there's lights in the building. I mean, there's no dust coming in the doors. I don't have dust on my counter because, you know, it's it's not coming in through the tent. Is this stuff still, is this still stuff you think about constantly, even though you've been out of the military for a while? You still think about, wow, I, have, I can go take a shower right now and it'll be hot water. I do when it comes to the, the veterans that I serve. Okay. So I, I work with the homeless veterans in this okay. community. So I, I as well as on the different task force and, uh, you know, on NAMI, you know, on the board of NAMI and different things where, you know, we see things, you know, a lot of, a lot of ways that it really opens up my eyes to know that there's a lot of other things that are going on in different countries that we don't experience here. But at the same time, I have a lot of empathy and, you know, care, caring for those that are struggling and know kind of what they're going through. And I can kind of give them a little bit more. And I think this would be a good place to wrap up part one of the podcast. And in part two, we are going to cover basically all the amazing things that you're doing now, because I love I love watching your Facebook, dude, and seeing yeah. all the stuff you're involved with. It's crazy. So I'm going to wrap it on that. Yeah, we'll have part two with Ken Corey, United States Air Force, uh, coming up with the Soldier Stories podcast.